0: Amen. The song says, Revive us again. And as I mentioned last Sunday, that's the topic that I'm going to be looking at for the next few Sundays. Biblical revival is what I have entitled this series. And as we open the service this morning, Pastor Dave read from Psalm 85. And I want to look at or take out of that verse 6 again. And these are the two scriptures that. I'm going to use for this series. The first Psalm 85 verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And the second comes from the prophet Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2. The prophet says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. Hallelujah. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for bringing us to this point in this service today. Thank you for everything that has preceded. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and everything that we have done up to this point. And now we ask, O Lord, that you will continue as you meet with us, Father God. And as we open your word and look into it today, O God, concerning revival, we ask in Jesus' name that you will speak truth from it that will make us free. And we pray, Father God, that we will have hearts and minds and spirits that are open to the voice of the Spirit of God. Speak to us concerning this very, very important subject matter, O God, and we ask in Jesus' name that not only will our lives personally and individually benefit from it, but we thank you, Father God, for what will happen in our church as a result of it. And so we bless you, thank you, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Today is a very significant day. First of all, church is open again. That in and of itself makes this day a very significant day. But not only that, today is day number 50 of our 6 a.m. prayer meeting. And why is that important? Because 50 is a very important number in the scriptures. First of all, in the nation of Israel, every 50th year was known as the year of Jubilee. And during the year of Jubilee, all prisoners were freed, all slaves were set free, and all death was canceled. Now, I know some of y'all like that third one. But that's what happened on the day during the year of Jubilee. So, today is important indeed. It is also the day that marks Pentecost. Pent meaning 50, the 50th day after the Passover when the Holy Spirit came and gave birth to the church of Jesus Christ. So, as we mark our 50th day of early morning prayer, it's very, very significant overall. Now, all around the world, church leaders and churches are praying that this COVID nineteen pandemic will be a court, will be pardon me a stepping stone to a worldwide revival. I can tell you that because I know of what I speak. There are pastors all around this country praying that what the devil meant for evil, God will turn into good, and what was meant to destroy lives will open the door for the salvation of lives. And churches and pastors in this country and around the world are praying that when this is all over, something significant would have happened in the countries that were affected by this virus, something that it will be obvious to everybody that it was something that God did, something that resulted as God moved and God worked even in the midst Of such trying and difficult times. And that out of this will rise a revived, renewed and refreshed church of Jesus Christ. And the world changed and transformed by the power and impact of that revived church. And so with churches being reopened today, I put it to you right up front that there is no doubt that we need a revival. Churches, this church, and every other church that's been practically shut down for the last six months. Ministries not being able to function. Church activities coming to a standstill. Worship, worship services like this not being able to happen for so long. Those things in and of themselves make it very clear that we need a revival. There are so many things that are a part of our church, who we are and what we do, that now need to be revived. After six months of dealing with all of this, we need revival. Except for a few Sundays between June and July, as I said earlier, the end of June, first part of July, when churches were reopened and then abruptly closed again. We have been out of our corporate Sunday service flow for a very long time. Our church ministries have not been functioning for almost six months. Thank God for Zoom and some of the meetings, some of the ministries were able to do some things via Zoom. But by and large, our church ministries have been at a standstill for six months. We have not been exercising our gifts and our talents in service to God through ministry for almost six months now. And so we need a revival The church has to come back. The church has to bounce back. And so our task now is to begin the process of rebuilding our church back up to what it used to be before COVID-19 hit us in March of this year. We need to build back our corporate spiritual life and the life of all of our ministries And that means that we have a lot of work to do in the coming days. A lot of work to do. You know, I thank God for Zoom and I thank God for live stream. And I thank God that these things were in place that offered us an opportunity for our people to stay connected. But the time is coming when the Zoom stuff are all going to come to an end. Let me say to those who are Uh, our elder or older members and those that have underlying comorbidities that still prevent them from coming to the house of God like we are today. We will continue to do some things uh, via Zoom and some recordings and so forth of classes and stuff that we do here in-house and put it up online for you to see and still be able to enjoy some of what's going on here at the church in your absence. But what we are responsible for is the rebuilding of God's house. The psalmist says in Psalm 122 and verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So God expects us to be in the house of God. As I said, we'll use the Zoom platform As long as we are able to and as long as we need to. But the goal is to get the people of God back into the house of God. The apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18. He says, for first of all, when you come together as a church. So the church is manifested in its fullness when we come together as a church. He continues in verse 20 of the same chapter, and he says to the Corinthians, therefore, when you come together in one place, that's the church gathering in one place. First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 23, the apostle also says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, the whole church comes together together, in one place. So that's our goal. And that's what we are working toward. Minister Tracy mentioned. This, pa- this passage in Hebrews chapter 10. I want to read verse 24. As well as verse 25. And let us consider one another. In order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Evangelistic temple is not a Zoom church. Evangelistic temple is a real Place where the people of God, the church of God, come together and gather together in one place. So we will work towards the assembling of the people of God together and not forsaking that assembling as the manner of some is, the apostle wrote, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching the more it looks as though the coming of Jesus Christ is nearer. We become more obligated to exhort one another and encourage one another as we assemble together as the people of God. So this is very, very important to us uh, rebuilding who we are and what we do as a local church. The coming together of the people of God. And so, Uh, With all of this in mind, as I said, we need a revival. There are so many things that need to be revived, that need to be refreshed, need to be restored, simply because of the time that has gone by, six months that has gone by, and we were not able to do and to be all that God desires us to be. Now, the last time I preached a sermon in this church about revival was 12 years ago. August of 2008 in the building across the street was the last time I preached a sermon about revival. And uh, I was the associate pastor at the time. So 12 years is a long time. And so here we go again. We are going to deal with revival. In Psalm 85 verse 6, the psalmist asks God a question. He asks God a question. And that question is, Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. The simple answer to that question is yes. God is always ready to send revival. God is always ready to refresh his people. God is always ready to refresh and revive, rebuild and renew his work. So the answer is yes. And the psalmist asked the question also. Because he said that the people of God needed to once again. Rejoice in God. In other words, the condition of the nation at the time that the psalmist was writing, something had happened that stole the joy of the people. They were not experiencing everything that God had for them to experience. Sadness and depression had taken hold in the land and in the lives of the people. And the psalmist says, Oh God, will you not revive us that we may rejoice in you again? And the reason why this is important is because the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So when we lose the joy of the Lord, that has the potential for us to lose our spiritual strength. And it is the joy of God that keeps us strong. The joy of the Lord that keeps us vibrant. The joy of the Lord that keeps us motivated. Now as a result of this coronavirus, there are a lot of us. In church circles and some right here in our own congregation that have lost their jobs as a result and has no income or very little income and finding it difficult and hard to cope and to get by and so around a lot of our churches today there are a a whole lot of uh, uh, Christians that do not have the joy of the Lord a lot of Christians who are downhearted, disquieted and maybe even depressed because of what has happened to them as a result of this virus. And so the psalmist says, your people need to rejoice in you again. And then sadness and depression comes upon a Christian or comes upon a church. We need a revival. We need God to move again. The, 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 the psalmist says that your people may rejoice in you. Habakkuk the prophet says in Habakkuk 3 verse 2. He pleads with God. The psalmist asks God a question. The prophet pleads with God. And he says, oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. Revive your work in the midst of the years. The midst of the years could also be translated in our generation, in our day, in our time, O oh Lord, revive your work. In other words, we have seen or we have heard, pardon me, we have heard of times gone by when you revived the people of God. We have heard about the great revivals that have taken place in years past. Oh God, we want you to revive your work in our generation. We want to see you move in unprecedented ways in our generation. You know, we've thrown this word unprecedented around for six months now. And the only time I hear the word used is when we talk about the times that we are in as a result of coronavirus. But I want to say to you today that we serve a God who knows how to do unprecedented things. We know a God and we serve a God who can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or even imagine. That's unprecedented. So the work of this God supersedes and far surpasses anything that coronavirus can do on this earth. And so the prophet says, revive your work, O Lord, in the midst of the years, in our day, in our time, in our generation. And so my heart's cry today is revive the work of evangelistic temple, O God, in this time that we are a part of this local church. That we are involved in the kingdom and the work of God in and through this local church. Revive your work, O God, in the midst of the years. Now I want to begin as I lay this foundation. And by the way, this is only my introduction today. But I want to say, first of all, I want to say something about what revival is not. Revival is not the announcement that the church will be holding revival services beginning on such and such a date. Revival is not placing an ad in the newspaper or on social media inviting the people to a week of revival services. Those may be good times. Those may be beneficial times. That week or that two weeks of services might be great. And great things might happen. But that's not really Revival. They are revival services. When revival takes place, when true revival takes place, the power of God so impacts our lives that we are not the same from that day forward. You see, you can go to a revival service for a week, have a good time, clap and shout and sing and jump and run around the church and have an awesome time. But when that week is finished, If your life is not impacted for the rest of time that you are on this earth, you have not experienced revival. All you had was a good time in church. Revival is a totally different thing altogether. And I have been in services that were called revival services for a week or even two weeks. And sure, they were good. Sure, they were beneficial. Sure, there was a good time. But when that time period ended, so did the quote-unquote revival. And so we need to understand this. And I want you to have a good understanding of this. Because over the next few Sundays, as we talk about this, every time I mention the word revival, I want you to have in your mind what real biblical revival is and what it looks like. Del Fessenfeld said this about revival. As he tries to describe it in human terms and words. He said, revival is the moving of God's spirit through the power of his word to the hearts of his children. That resurrects to new life those areas which have been lying stagnant or out of balance. And that results in new love and obedience to Jesus Christ. That's when you know you have real revival. Let me read it again. Revival is the moving of God's spirit through the power of his word to the hearts of his children. That resurrects to new life those areas which have been lying stagnant or out of balance. And that results in new love and obedience to Jesus Christ. Selvin Hughes talks about and defines revival this way. He says revival is God bending down to the dying embers of a fire that is just about to go out and breathing into it until it bursts again into flame. In revival, men and women come alive to the life of God. Hear it again. Revival is God bending down to the dying embers of a fire that is just about to go out and breathing into it until it bursts again into flame. In revival, men and women come alive to the life of God. I have said on at least a couple occasions that when I was a boy, I had a fascination with fire. Fire intrigued me. I don't know why. Maybe it was for these days when I know what it is to experience the fire of God. I don't know. But I had this fascination with fire. And uh, oftentimes we would burn, we would light a fire in the back of our yard to burn some garbage or some weeds or stuff that we uh, cut down from the trees, whatever it might have been. And what fascinated me was that when that blaze of fire, Began to die down because it consumed everything that was being burned. When that blaze of fire got down to the level where it was just the, em- the, the embers of that which was burned there uh, in that area where the fire was. And uh, uh, the fire was practically out. Not completely, but practically out. And then, because I loved fire so much, I would go and grab some stuff. Some other little pieces of weeds, limbs, whatever it is. And throw it, on the, and throw it on the fire because I wanted to see the fire rise up again. And after throwing the stuff on the fire, I grab a piece of cardboard and start to fan and fan and fan and fan the embers. And eventually, after fanning, the heat of the embers would catch the stuff. That was just thrown on top and keep fanning and keep fanning and eventually a little flame, a little flicker would rise and catch the stuff and kept fanning and fanning until eventually that fire was blazing again. That my friends is biblical revival when we are at a point in our Christian lives, when things have become stagnant and things are dying down and things are just kind of withering away and the Spirit of God comes along and begins to breathe on us and breathe on us and breathe on us until those dying embers begin again to flicker like a flame and eventually burst into another raging fire That, my friend, is revival. And let me also say that it is always the church or the people of God that need revival. Not the world. The world doesn't need a revival because the world has nothing to be revived. The world is characterized by sin, unrighteousness, ungodliness. You don't want a revival of that. No, it is the church. It is the people of God who always need revival. And as a result of a revived church, the impact of that revived church will hit the world. And as a result, you'll see some things happen in the world when people will begin to be saved and lives will begin to be changed. And that's how revival affects the world. So we as the church, when we are revived, we impact our world. As a result of that revival. Let me just mention to you in this regard. The effects of the Welsh revival. Which took place in 1904. In the country of of Wales. The effects of the revival. And this is simply to illustrate my point. That it is the church. The people of God. Who first need revival. And then the power of that revival. Will change its surroundings. Listen to what happened when revival struck Wales in 1904. First of all, it says thousands of people were saved. Thousands of people were saved. You read the historical accounts and it was just under 200,000 people were saved that they know about. So thousands of people were saved. That's the first way revival, a revived church impacts the world. Souls are saved as a result of a revived church because a church whose fire of evangelism, whose fire, of outreach, whose fire, of witnessing, and just simply talking to people about Jesus Christ, whether it's on the job, whether it's in the neighborhood, whether it's in the food store, whether it's in another type of store, whether it's on the street, when those fires die down and the Spirit of God in revival breathes upon us again, and the fire of witnessing begins to enrage in us again, and we begin to tell people about Jesus Christ, once again, because we have been revived, refreshed, and renewed, then thousands of people will be saved. That's impact number one. It goes on to say, as a result of that revival, public houses, that's what they called them back then. We're talking about houses of prostitution. We're talking about bar rooms, and liquor store stores, and nightclubs, and strip joints. Well, i kind of talking about today when I talk about that kind of stuff. But that's what they're talking about when they say public houses. Listen, public houses became almost empty. Because the people were getting saved. And didn't frequent those places anymore. Men and women who used to waste their money getting drunk were now saving it and giving it to the church. They were using their money to buy clothes and food for their families. Instead of wasting it in the bar room. Instead of wasting it at a house of prostitution. They were now supporting the work of God and supporting their families. Let me read on. Stealing and other offenses became less and less. Often a magistrate came to court and found that there were no cases for him to try. Imagine that in this country. Imagine that in Nassau. All of our courts, the judges, the magistrates come to work and there are no cases because murder has stopped. Armed robberies have stopped, rapes have stopped. The criminals are no longer there to answer charges because their lives have been changed and transformed by the power of God through the ministry of a revived church. Let me read on. Men who blasphemed or just simply cussed all the time. Men who blasphemed learned to talk purely. And listen to this. The workers put in a better day's work. And didn't understand what had happened to the bosses. As they spoke to them more kindly. They were so used to being sworn at on the job. But not only did the workers put in better work. But the bosses didn't treat them like they used to. Because the bosses were now saved. Born again children of God. Listen. People who had been careless about paying their bills. Or paying back money they had borrowed. Gave back all they owed. Survival in the country. Revival affecting the life in the society and in the community. Listen again, this is for us Christians. People who held unforgiveness against another forgave each other and were reconciled. Now that happened in the church as well as in the community. Because people were being saved. And lastly it says society was changed and whales became a God-fearing nation listen to me the church was revived and as a result the country became a God-fearing nation if y'all don't say something I gonna have to tell you take off your mask for 10 seconds and give God some praise because that's what we need in our country today we need a revived church that's filled with the power of God that impacts the nation to such a degree That we become a real Christian nation. And not just a Christian nation in word and in the preamble to our constitution. That's why we need revival. We need revival. Now let me state very clearly. All the major revivals that happened in this world were birthed out of prayer and intercession. Let me let that sink in for a second. You see, I could get up here and talk about revival all day long. I could get up here and run on about revival. I could talk about all the greatness of revival. I could talk about all the things that happen in revivals. I can go back and bring you and give you some of the stuff that happened in prior revivals like I'm doing now. And I can carry on with that for an hour. But if we never pray, we aren't going to see it. You better hear me today. If we don't pray, we aren't going to see it. We can talk about it. We can blabber about it. We can talk about how much we need it. We can talk about how powerful it is. We can talk about what it will do for the the church. We can talk about its impact it will have on the nation. But if we don't decide to pray for it, We'll be talking till thy kingdom come. And so hear me today. All the major revivals were birthed out of prayer and intercession. Dr. A.T. Pearson says this. He says, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Not a one. R.A. Torrey, great preacher and man of God says in his book, The Power of Prayer, there have been revivals without much preaching, but there has never been a mighty revival without mighty praying. You see, you don't need an eloquent preacher to lead a revival. You don't need the most trained and the most uh, intelligent preacher to lead a revival. The anointing of God will take care of what he lacks. But you will not have a revival without mighty praying. You see, don't look for a mighty preacher to have a mighty revival. You need to have mighty prayer that will result in a mighty revival. That's all Tory is saying. David Yonggi Cho, the former pastor of the largest church in the world in Seoul, Korea. You are your no full gospel temple or full gospel church in Seoul, Korea. This is what he says in his book, Prayer, Key to Revival. He says, if you desire revival, there has never been nor are there now any shortcuts to revival. He says, the only key to revival is prayer. There are no shortcuts to revival. The key, the only key, Dr. Cho says, to revival is prayer. Now let me give you one more quote from a book written by J. Audwin, J. Edwin Orr entitled Prayer and Revival. Here is how he describes that type of praying. Because when you talk about praying for revival, it takes prayer to another level. It's not your ordinary kind of praying. So here is how he describes prayer for revival. He said, what do we mean by extraordinary prayer? We share ordinary prayer, he says, in regular worship services, before meals and the like. But when people are found getting up at six in the morning to pray, this was written years and years ago. Not since we started a 6 a.m. prayer meeting. This was a description of of revival prayer years ago. So here's what he says. But when people are found getting up at six in the morning to pray or having a half night of prayer until midnight or giving up their lunch time to pray at noonday prayer meetings, that is extraordinary prayer. It must be united and concerted. So all he's saying is, revival praying is sacrificial praying. In other words, you're not gonna get this kind of stuff by ordinary praying. Ritualistic, traditional praying. You gotta go the extra mile. You've got to go the next step. You've got to rise to the next level and engage in extraordinary prayer to see God do extraordinary things. If we decide that we are going to settle just for prayer as we know it, then that's as much of God as we are going to experience. That's the level of God that we are going to experience. But if we decide, you know what? We need revival. We need more than what we are experiencing. We need to see God more and to a greater degree than what we are seeing him. And then we decide, if it costs me a couple hours in the morning, I'm going to get engaged in that kind of praying. If it costs me a couple hours in the night to get engaged in that kind of praying, then that's what I'm going to do because I want to see revival. The Welsh Revival that I referred to just now in Wales in 1904 was led by a young preacher by the name of Evan Roberts. He was 26 years old. I didn't say 56, 66, 76, or 86. It was led by a young preacher, 26 years old. And it says that it was the result, the death revival was the result of earnest, agonizing prayer. Even Roberts, or, or pardon me, Evan Roberts, the evangelist, had prayed daily for revival for 13 years. Now, if he was 26 years old, that means he started praying for revival when he was 13 when he was a teenager. Don't underestimate a young person who commits themselves to pray. Don't underestimate a 13 year old gave himself to praying for revival. And at the age of 26, what he prayed for for 13 years broke loose and changed his entire country. Listen, the country became known as a God-fearing nation. Because a 13-year-old decided he wanted to pray for revival in his church and revival in his nation. It took 13 years, but it happened. That's revival praying. The Azusa Street Revival, the great Pentecostal revival that began in Los Angeles, California led by a black preacher. In that little house of God on Azusa Street, it started with a cottage prayer meeting. A revival that impacted all of North America. A revival that went beyond the borders of North America and impacted the world. Listen to me today. Anywhere you go in the world and you hear the word Pentecostal or there is a Pentecostal church that believes in the power of the Spirit of God, wherever you find it, it's there because of the revival that was birthed on Azusa Street led by a black man in 1906. Do you hear me? We are here today as a Pentecostal church because the people in 1906 decided that they were going to pray for revival. And it's written about that revival. A volume of believing prayer is ascending to the throne night and day. And that goes on to say, I didn't write it down, that all of Los Angeles and California will soon see the result of that praying. And as God is in heaven, that's exactly what happened. 1906, azusa Street. Cottage prayer meeting. Let me give you one more. And that's the Pensacola Revival in 1995. In 1993, the pastor and members of Brownsville Assembly in Pensacola, Florida and Assemblies of God Church, just like we are, Brownsville Assembly in Pensacola, Florida, 1993, the pastor and members decided that they were going to pray for revival. and they prayed for two years and on Father's Day, June the 19th, 1995, there was a guest speaker for Father's Day and at the end of his message, he had everybody gather at the altar and as they prayed at the altar, and I'm not telling you this because I read it in a book even though I did, I'm telling you this Because I heard that same preacher and that same pastor tell the story themselves of what happened on that Father's Day. As the people were gathered at the altar a wind began to blow from this end of the altar. Listen, it wasn't the air conditioned vents pumping out air. A wind began to blow on this end of the altar and it blew continuously along that crowd of people gathered at the altar and all the way the wind continued to blow in that church all the way around to the next side of the altar and that day in brown Assembly, Pensacola, Florida. Revival broke out and lasted for five solid years. And assemblies of God Church. Now let me give you a personal testimony. Pastor Curry and Sister Curry, Dr. Wayne Turnquest and Charlene, his wife, and me and Sister Cash went to that revival in Pensacola. I have never been in a revival before, a real revival. Like I said, I've been to services called revival services, but I've never been up to that time in a real revival. And I can remember very well the first evening we went to the first evening service. We were there, I think, for a full week. And as we pulled into the Parking lot that first evening. What amazed me. Was the amount of people that were already there. Service was scheduled to start at 7 p.m. And we were already told. If you want a seat in this church. I think the church seated just, about, just above 2,000. If you want a seat in, just in this church. You better get here by 4 p.m. latest. Now because we were pastors and part of a pastor's group, we had a pastor's pass. So we were able to get in. But as we drove into the parking lot, the line just wrapped around the parking lot. At every entrance door, the line of people just wrapped around the parking lot. Wrapped around the parking lot. And the minute we walked into the foyer of that church and stepped over that threshold. I can only speak for myself. My wife can speak for herself. Pastor Sister Curry can speak for themselves. Wayne and Charlene can speak for themselves. But the moment I walked over that threshold, into that foyer, I felt something I've never felt before. Never felt it before. I can't even describe it to you now in words. But I know it was something that I'd never felt before. And from that foyer, we walked in to the sanctuary. And it's as though what I felt in the foyer intensified by a hundred. Then we got into the sanctuary. The music was playing. Not loud. No carrying on. Nothing. Just music was being played and it seemed as though that angels were playing the instruments and angels were singing inside of that sanctuary. That's how intense and how powerful the presence of the Spirit of God was in that sanctuary. The service hadn't even begun yet. That's all before service. And let me cut a long story short. During that time that we were there, In that revival, we saw hundreds of persons saved and born again every single night and even during the services, during the daytime. Even when we went into... Into special seminars and stuff like that During the daytime People were being saved People were being healed People were being filled with the spirit of God People were being set free from demonic forces See my wife right there All of this happened day and night For the whole time that we were there I never saw anything like it Never felt anything like it Never experienced anything like it It was a real bona fide Revival. Let me give you one more from that revival. Usually, when service started at 7, usually there was intermission between 9 30 and 10. You heard me? Intermission. They took a break. So people could go to the bathroom or do whatever else they needed to do. And then you went outside to the bathroom, the restrooms. There was always lines of people. If you really had to go bad. And then the lines at the women's restrooms were five times as long as those at the men's restrooms. Because there's always more women. I don't know what you all always thinking when I said that but it's just more women. That's all. And so this night during uh, the, inter, the uh, intermission break, oh let me say this before I tell the rest of that story. There was an intermission for about a half an hour sometimes 45 minutes and then you would go back into the sanctuary or those who never left the sanctuary then the worship will start again. The praise would start again, just as though it was the beginning of the service at 7 p.m. And that would go on for about an hour. Ministry at the altar and so forth would go on as well. And then about an hour later, around 11 o'clock, the preacher would come on. And usually we go out of church 12, 15, 12, 30. And on our way to the hotel, because we were fasting all day, We had to find one Waffle House or something that was still open to get a little something to eat to stay alive. Because boy, let me me tell you, body, soul, and spirit were all affected by what was going on. And so we never got out of church before 12 o'clock on any night. Five hours. Revival. Now let me tell you something. If revival isn't going on, you ain't going to keep me in church for five hours. <laughs> Hear me out. Because I don't want to encounter man's flesh for five hours. Right. Yeah. But if the Spirit of God is there, and real revival is happening, and you see things, you feel things, You hear things, you see the miracles, you see the salvations, you see the healings, you see the deliverances, you see all of that going on. I'll stay there until sunrise the next morning. That's the difference between flesh and spirit. So let me finish the story. This night, intermission, I'm going to the bathroom. And I'm walking down the aisle to go out the door. They had multiple entrances and exits just like we do. Church set up basically the same. So I'm walking down the aisle, minding my own business, headed to the restroom. Got to go, got to go, got to go right now. (laughs) Headed to the restroom. And when I got about two-thirds of the way down, coming up in this direction was a little white girl. And I don't mean anything by saying that. That's just what it was. A little white girl, about this high, looked to be about maybe 17 years old. And so I'm walking this way and she's walking towards me. And we came face to face with each other. And she said to me, Well, I was on this side. She said to me, May I pray for you? Little white girl, maybe 17. And so, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm not going to tell her, no. So I said, sure. Go right ahead. I lifted my hands, closed my eyes, and she started praying in tongues. Not English. She started praying in tongues. Little thing. And after about 60 seconds of her praying in tongues, And me standing there with my eyes closed, hands raised, I felt a light touch on my forehead. I didn't say this 8.30, but nobody was behind me to catch me. Y'all better hear me. I felt a light touch on my forehead as she spoke in tongues, prayed in tongues, because she was praying in the spirit And the next time I opened my eyes, I was looking up at the lights in the ceiling because I was flat on my back. I don't remember anybody standing in the back of me. I didn't have a bruise on my head. I didn't have a broken limb. So it must have been the Holy Ghost that eased me down to the ground. That's all I can say. But what I'm saying to you folks is the power of God was so powerful and present in that place that a little white girl about 17 years old was so anointed and so filled with the power of God that she laid her fingers on my forehead. A man, a senior, laid it on my forehead. I don't know what happened after that until I opened my eyes again. I don't even know how long I was on the floor. Because when I got up, music was playing. I don't even know if my wife them even wondered where I was. Because things were so powerful. I mean, that's revival. That happened because a church led by its pastor decided to pray for revival. And prayed for two years. And it's interesting that the revival broke on Father's Day. Men, hear me. I've been begging you all to join us in prayer at 6 a.m. Hear me. The revival broke on Father's Day. Amazing. And so today, as the senior pastor of this church, I am calling Evangelistic Temple to begin praying for revival in our church. I am asking you, Once a day, it doesn't have to be a 15 minute prayer or a half half an hour prayer. Once a day, even if it's for 60 seconds, ask God to revive your church. We are coming out of this pandemic. We are moving forward. We need a revival. Things need to be refreshed, renewed, and restored. I'm asking you today, once a day, say to God, please, Lord, revive evangelistic temple. That's all I am asking of you. You see, listen to this. We are one of the major churches in the Bahamas. We are 85 years old, 86 years old. One of the major churches in this country. We are one of the largest churches in this country. And I'm not talking about the building. We own and operate one of the largest private Christian schools in the country. From K-3 to grade 12, Temple Christian School. Started by Sister Myrtle Curry as Toddler's Academy Preschool in the basement of the sanctuary or the building across the street. Built to a high school level by Pastor Gary Curry. I did not say a whole denomination like the Baptists, the Anglicans, or the Catholics. I said, I did not say the Ministry of Education. I said a church One single church owns and operates one of the top private Christian schools in the entire Bahamas. Now, the only reason why I'm saying these things is because I want you to understand we have accomplished some stuff over the years. We are well known and highly respected in this community for who we are and what we do. Well respected. But my word to you today is this: and those in my live stream, listen to me, please. We cannot rest on our laurels and simply enjoy our past achievements. They are many. They are significant. But we cannot rest on our laurels. We can't park ourselves in a comfort zone and just be satisfied with where God has brought us from. Where he has so much further that he wants to take us. So I'm calling on you today. To pray for revival. Because that's where revival begins. And so over the next few weeks. We are going to look into the scripture. And we are going to take a look at some pictures of revival. That are in the scripture to give us a biblical understanding. Of what revival really is. And how it functions. And how it operates. We are going to look at our revival. As the restoring of something that was lost. Lord willing that's next Sunday. The restoring of something that was lost. Secondly, revival, the refreshing of something that was depleted. Third, revival as the rebuilding of something that was destroyed. And fourthly, revival as the resurrecting of something that was dead. By the time we finish this, nobody will be able to fool you when it comes to revival. You'll have a biblical understanding of a biblical concept and scriptures you can turn to and explain to people what real revival looks like. And hopefully, by our praying, by the time we get to the last of this, this church will be in revival. And <laughs> so I close with this: real revival is when God restores the church's love for lost souls. Real revival is when God refreshes the church's desire for praying. Real revival is when God restores the church's love for one another. Real revival is when God rebuilds the church's longing for his word. Real revival is when God resurrects the church's zeal for him. Real revival is when God restores the church's love for his house. Real revival is when God rebuilds the church's willingness to serve Him. Real revival is when God resurrects the church's desire for holiness. Real revival is when God restores the church's desire for genuine worship. Real revival is when God refreshes the church's heart for humility. Real revival is when God resurrects the church's spiritual power I don't know about you but that's what I want and I'm not gonna stop praying until it happens listen to me assemblies of God Brownsville Assembly is no better than we are They are no different than we are We are a church just like they are We believe in the same God that they believe in We believe the same doctrines that they believe in Listen to me today If God did it for Brownsville Assembly Then certainly that same God can do it for Evangelistic Temple Come on, give God some praise today Hallelujah, everybody stand to your feet, please.